Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast for the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you haven't already, we encourage you to check out our audio archive at vineyardcampbellsville.org. You can also subscribe on iTunes or wherever you like to get podcasts. And now, here's this week's message brought to you by Senior Pastor Adam Russell. Hey, uh, if you want to open up your Bibles to Daniel chapter 8, if you have a Bible with you, go ahead and do that, or maybe you have a phone has the Bible on it somewhere. We're in Daniel chapter 8, and that's because we're in a very long series in the book of Daniel. We've been working our way through it for almost two months now, and we're coming to the close, but we're not quite there yet. Uh, we're going to look at Daniel chapter 8 this morning, and what I want to talk to you about is endurance. That's what I want to talk to you about. This is a moment in the scripture. It's a moment in Daniel where he's having more wild visions. We're going to read some of it here in a moment, and you're going to see it's more wild animals. Uh, There's more things that don't seem to make a lot of sense. But the thing that I want to pull out of this, rather than maybe uh, charts about the end times or the eschaton, I want to pull out of this a note that's sitting right underneath that has to do with endurance. And before we get to that, I just want to give you three examples of endurance that I was thinking about this week. Uh, How many of you remember Cal Ripken Jr.? (laughs) Like if you're my age, you remember Cal Ripken Jr. Do you guys remember Cal Ripken Jr.? Do you remember why he's famous? He showed up. up. Like this is it. He He played shortstop for the Baltimore Orioles. And in his career, he broke. He didn't just break. He crushed the string of games in a row without missing. He played over 2,600 games in a row and he never missed. If you do the math, it's over 16 seasons. Never missed. Cal Ripken Jr. I love that. Love that. Then I was uh, looking at endurance races on the internet this week and I ran across this thing that happens every year in Queens, Jamaica, Queens, New York. It's called the self-transcendence race. Anybody ever heard of this? Here's, here's what happens in the self-transcendence race. You run around one city block in Jamaica, Queens, New York. It's about half mile. The race is 3,100 miles and you have 50 days to complete it. In order to complete it, you need to average 60 miles a day for 50 days. The record, the record holder is a man named Asprenal Alto, and he completed the race in 40 days, and I think that's in 2016. He completed the race in 40 days, which was a daily average of 76.7 miles. Animal. Third example. Third example of endurance. Uh, Anybody in the room heard of, of, of a place called the Wild Horse or the White Horse Tavern? The White Horse Tavern, it's in, it's in Rhode Island. It's the oldest restaurant in America. It was opened in 1673. Bo says it's colonial times. Bo is right. This is maybe even before colonial times because it was opened by a pirate. You can read the history. The dude was an actual pirate. And if you do the math, this place has been open for 300 years. And 50 years. Think about that. A restaurant that has lasted 300 
in 50 years. I want to go back to Cal Ripken for a moment. Cal Ripken didn't miss a game in over 16 seasons. How many of you think that there were mornings that he had a sore knee? <laughs> I was thinking about that this week. Or, or maybe there was a time when he had bad allergies, you know? I've got allergies this morning. Or, or, or how many of you think that there were probably days he got up and he didn't have sleep or there was family drama? How many of you know that if you play any kind of game or you have any kind of job for over 16 years, you're going to have lack of sleep, bad allergies, sore knees, and family drama. And what's amazing is none of these things kept Cal Ripken from showing up. Unbelievable. Mm. And imagine running the transcendence race in New York. And imagine you got to get 60 miles a day. And here's the thing about that race. It's on concrete. There's no grass. There's no dirt to run on. It's on concrete and it's around a single city block. And how many of you understand that at a certain point, that race is not just physical, but it becomes mental because you get sick and tired of looking at the same city block. It becomes physical, it becomes mental. And if you're going that far, that long each day for 50 days, how many of you know it eventually becomes spiritual? Like the race becomes it becomes spiritual. In order to complete it, how many of you understand you need a why? Like you need something deep. And then there's restaurants. Restaurants come and go like almost no other business. And here's why they come and go like no other business. Because they're hard to run. <laughs> they're hard to run. Everybody knows that it's been any, if you've worked in a restaurant at all, you just know. I mean, there's always drama in a restaurant. The front of house hates the back of house. That, that's the rules. That's the way it works. There's always drama. Uh, there's always things going wrong. Shipments don't make it on time. People are really, really petty. Uh, owners become disinterested. That's the thing that happens in restaurants. You know, you're like, you start a restaurant because you have a dream. I just love making food and I love hospitality. And five years in, you're like, I hate everyone. <laughs> I hate people. And you're just like, I, I, and you get, you get disinterested or the times change or, or people's tastes change, you know? You know, five or 10 years into it, the things you were serving that everybody loved, pretty soon they're like, you know what? We don't know if this is healthy. I don't know if I wanna, I don't know if I wanna go to Dumas Walkers anymore. I don't know if I need a slaw burger and a ski. Maybe it's gonna kill us and the times change. Can, can you imagine having a restaurant for 350 years and people are like, yes, I will keep coming to this place. Like what the pirate started is still popular in America. It's an amazing, amazing thing. And that's what is highlighted to me in this passage from Daniel. So I want to read that. Cody, can you help me? We're going to look at the first 14 verses. Again, this is a crazy chapter out of the Bible. Just hang with me. And then I'm going to do my best to sort of like unpack what's in this. Okay. Uh, chapter Eight, verse 1, during the third year of King Belshazzar's reign, I, Daniel, saw another vision. He had a vision last week, got another one this week. <laughs> Following the one that had already appeared to me, in this vision I saw a fortress of Susa in the province of Elam standing beside the Uah River. Uli? Uli? Bo, what is it? Help me. <laughs> Bo Ward, help me. 
And then as I looked up, I saw a ram with two long horns standing beside the river. One of the horns was longer than the other, even though it had grown later than the other one. The ram butted everything out of its way to the west, the north, and south, and no one could stand against him or help his victims. He did as he pleased, and he became very great. And while I was watching, suddenly a male goat appeared from the west, crossing the land so swiftly that he didn't even touch the ground. This goat, which had one very large horn between its eyes, like a unicorn goat, headed toward the two-horned ram that I had seen standing beside the river, rushing at him in a rage. The goat charged furiously at the ram and struck him, breaking off both his horns. Now the ram was helpless, and the goat knocked him down and trampled him, and no one could rescue the ram from the goat's power. The goat became very powerful, and at the height of his power, his large horn was broken off. In the large horn's place grew four prominent horns, pointing in the four directions of the earth. Then from one of the prominent horns came a small horn whose power grew very great. It extended toward the south and the east and toward the glorious land of Israel. Its power had reached the heavens where it attacked the heavenly army, throwing some of the heavenly beings and some of the stars to the ground and trampling them. It even challenged the commander of heaven's armies by canceling the daily sacrifices offered to him and by destroying its temple. The army of heaven was restrained from responding to this rebellion, so the daily sacrifice was halted and the truth was overthrown. The horn succeeded in everything it did. Then I heard two holy ones talking to each other and one of them said, how long will the events of the vision last? How long will the rebellion that causes desecration Stop the daily sacrifices. How long will the temple and heaven's armies be trampled on? And the other replied, it will take 2,300 evenings and mornings. Then the temple will be made right again. We'll stop there. Okay, this is a weird passage, right? <laughs> okay, so there's like, there's like a ram. It's got two horns and one of them is bigger than the other one. But the bigger one came later and it ran around and no one could oppose it. It became very powerful. Then there's a goat with one unicorn horn who came and trampled the ram and then it broke its horn and then four horns come in its place and then another small horn becomes prominent and powerful and then the temple sacrifices stop and then Daniel hears two holy ones. I don't, we'll call them angels. How long is it going to last? Well, it's going to be 2,300 days and nights. That's how long it's going to last. Uh, this is clear, right? Like, this makes a lot of sense. All right, look at your neighbor and say, it's time to go home. Like we've, we've done what we need to do. Okay. Um, so what, what's up with this passage? Well, uh, this is typical apocalyptic Bible revelatory stuff. And it's weird to us, but it would have made a lot more sense to ancient Near Eastern folks. Uh, not only that, but Bible scholars, some of them think that the way that Daniel chapter 8 in particular is written, some of them think that this had to be written after the events that I'm about to tell you take place because it's so accurate in describing the next stretch of history from Babylon to Rome. Some people look at this and go, you know what? Daniel didn't really have this vision. 
what really happened is like a later editor who knew the history came back and wrote a vision and put it in Daniel's mouth because of some things I'm about to tell you. You might be thinking, well, what are those things? Well, it's like this. I guess the first thing we have to understand here is hopefully at this point in Daniel, we've learned that horns always equal what? Power. Horns are power. And like animals with horns, especially in Daniel, but oftentimes throughout the Bible, they represent, they represent kingdoms and their horns are their strength. Their horns are their power. And if we could just sort of like quickly walk through this without making any end times charts, it goes something like this. That first ram with two horns, those two horns represent the kingdoms of the Medes and the Persians, right? Like, so Daniel had already been taken captive by Babylon. And we've already seen in the story that Babylon gets overrun by who? The Medes and the Persians, right? So there's this sense in which the ram, Medes, and Persians, but then the ram doesn't get to just stay in control because there's a goat who's very upset and he has a large horn and that goat most likely represents Greece. And in fact, most scholars think that the large horn that comes out of the, the goat, that's Alexander the Great. And, and, and if you notice in the passage that we read this morning, uh, that, that, that large horn that comes out is very powerful. But what does the Bible say about the horn? It gets broken off. And do you, do you know any history about Alexander the Great? As soon as he conquers the known world, what happens to him? Doesn't make it, does he? he his life is actually cut short. And then one of the things that happens, not just in this passage, but actually happens historically is when Alexander the Great dies, uh, the, the kingdom that he has expanded throughout all of the land gets divided among what? His four generals. And so the Bible says that when the one horn gets broken off, how many horns emerge? Four. Because he's gone now. And so this is what happens. And so the four horns replace the great, uh, the great horn. But then the Bible says another horn appears on the goat and it's small, but its power grew and became very, very great. And if you read the history of the time, this is most likely a very ruthless ruler named Antiochus Epiphanes. Antiochus Epiphanes. My Greek is not great. I hope that's sort of close. But the details of this guy are not terrific. And one of the things we see in the passage this morning is that that little horn begins to dominate. It goes like right at, it goes right at Israel. It goes right at Judah and it goes right at the temple and it takes over. And it talks about how there's some kind of like desecration in the temple to the point that they have to stop the daily sacrifices. Did you guys catch that at the end? And then the angels are like, well, how long is this going to last? And they're like, well, 2,300 evenings or whatever. Well, I just want to read you one little excerpt about Mr. Antiochus. He's been out on a killing spree, taken over the land, and in 168 BC, he returned from Alexandria. He ordered his generals to seize Jerusalem, and he did it on the Sabbath. And by the way, he did that on purpose. And on that day, he set up an idol of Zeus in the Jewish temple, and he desecrated the altar by offering pigs on the, offering, on the altar. And he sprinkled the pig's juices all over the, all over the sanctuary. And because of that, sacrifice stopped because the temple is officially what? Defiled. Defiled. So imagine you're not just going to take over, but you, imagine you're going to take over uh, the Jewish Hebrew 
territory. And if you know anything about the Jews, if you know anything about the people and their culture, you know the one thing that the Jews just don't have anything to do with is they just, they're not pig people. Right? It's just, they're, they're not barbecue people in that way. And he goes right in and he puts, up, he puts up an idol of Zeus and he's like, you know what? Just to make my point even more on the nose, let's just, let's just put pig juices everywhere. Because, why? Because I can, right? Okay, we can keep going. But this is the basic thrust of the prophetic picture that Daniel sees. And here's what I want you to catch with me this morning. One of the things that's really coming through the text for me as I was reading it this week is Daniel was captured by Babylon. Babylon was captured by the Medes and Persians. And then we see this prophetic picture of it's not just going to be the Medes and Persians who take over this territory for a while, but the Greeks are coming. And then who comes after the Greeks? The Romans. Like, and part of what we see in this picture, like this is from God to Daniel, this prophetic picture is that things are not going to get better anytime soon. They're not going to get better anytime soon. In fact, Daniel's vision probably comes 550 BC, somewhere in there. Let's just say 550 BC. And we know that Mr. Antiochus Epiphanes, that he's going to defile the temple in 168 BC. What is that, guys? It's hundreds of years of things not getting better. At least from a Jewish perspective, at least from a, we're the people of God, we have the oracles of God, we have the tablets, we've got the temple, we've got the story, we've got the cloud by day and the fire by night. Like for hundreds of years, God is telling Daniel, maybe one of his most special people, he's telling him, it's not going to get better. Here's the word. Good news. It's not going to get better anytime soon. And so here's what I want you to do this morning with me. I don't want to share, I want to share three quick things with you out of this passion, passage. If we could put this up, if you're taking notes, three quick things. Uh, number one, sometimes the spiral goes further than we think. Sometimes the spiral down goes further than we think. Number two, we're training for marathons, y'all. And number three, get up and go to work. Some of you are already really excited about that third one, aren't you? <laughs> Let's just take this one at a time. Number one, sometimes... Sometimes the spiral goes further down than we think. That's right. Sometimes when God is active in your life, sometimes when you're getting dreams and visions, sometimes when you've been delivered and you've experienced the power of God, think about Daniel, delivered from the lion's den. You know, think about this. Over and over in his life, like reading the writing on the wall, purple robe, gold chain. Sometimes when God is active in your life like, and he's speaking to you, sometimes you think, you know, we're in a tough situation right now, but it's going to turn around soon. Like I've got evidence, uh, you know, God is with me. I'm, I'm certain it's going to turn around because how, how could the God who delivers me from the lion's den not just deliver us all? How could, how could the God who who, who reads with me the writing on the wall? How could the God who gives me the gold chain and the purple robe in Daniel chapter five, how could he not gold chain and purple robe us all? But here's the truth. Sometimes the spiral down goes further than we think. 
Sometimes you'd think God's about to do something and maybe you'd be right. But in the case of Daniel, it was going to be centuries before God began to do some things that we, that we think might be turning things around. And by the way, when God does begin to move in some demonstrable way again, he does it in the person of Jesus. And how many of you know that when Jesus is born, he's born a little baby. So it's not as though God is doing something obvious even when he begins to work. So for centuries, this thing seems to be going down. For centuries, Israel's power is not coming back together. And when God begins to show up in person, he he shows up as a little tiny baby, weak and vulnerable. And even after Jesus is 30 years old, how many of you know, he never went about fighting the power. Jesus never preached a sermon against Rome. It's the darndest thing. In fact, in fact, Israel's not going to come back together as a nation state for thousands and thousands of years. Like at this point, our minds have to start clicking on and going, sometimes this spiral down goes further than we think. And sometimes what God is up to is quite counter to what we think he should be up to. There'd be no reemergence of Israel as a world power. It would be salvation through Jesus, cosmic salvation, but cosmic salvation through Jesus in the day of Jesus looks like failure. It looks like failure, dang. Number one, encouragement this morning. Sometimes the spiral goes further down than we think. Uh, Number two, we're training for marathons. Like one of the things I see in this Daniel story and this vision and in the text as a whole is I I see the invitation for endurance. I see the invitation for perseverance. It's the reason we read out of Romans chapter 15 this morning. Like Paul saying, look guys, you need endurance to do this thing. We need perseverance. In the kingdom of heaven, we're not sprinting, we're marathoning. Faithfulness is everything. And not just for a day or two, but for decades. Can I tell you something? Anybody can be Christian for a year. Anybody can be a Christian for a year. You know, uh, maybe, maybe you fall on some hard times and you come to church and you get some prayer and you meet a few friends. And by the way, I am for all of this. I am for every bit of this. I believe in it. I've given my life to it. And, and you know, you go to a home group for a year and you're, you know, maybe some things come together in your life. Maybe not everything's perfect, but at least you have some people to walk with you, you know, and then maybe a year you forget to come to church or maybe you, you forget something or maybe you get bored because, you know, at the vineyard, they're just going to sing a couple songs and we're going to pray the Lord's prayer together and Adam's going to read the Bible and it becomes a little predictable and it's not that fancy. And, and then maybe, maybe you just kind of like tap out. I just want to tell you, being a Christian for a year, easy, easy, literally. You know what I'm impressed by? People who have believed for decades, decades. We, we're not sprinting here at the vineyard. We're not sprinting in God's kingdom. We're marathoning. You know what I'm impressed by in this room? I'm impressed by people like Dick Salmon. The man has loved God for decades. You know, I'm impressed by people like Bobby and Ann Tucker. They have believed God and they have loved God for decades. And we're here today because of what they did decades ago. We're training for marathons. You know, some of us are like, 
I'm a little upset in my, world, in my walk with God, you know? Things haven't turned out the way that I thought it was going to. Hey, guess what? Welcome to life. You're now a Christian. Well, you're now a Christian. Things haven't gone the way you thought. You're now a Christian. Imagine being Daniel, taken captive at 16, and when he's serving Belshazzar, he's in his 80s. Faithfulness for over six decades, and God never removes them from the power of his oppressors. He keeps them there. We're training for marathons, six or seven decades. Man, church, we're being invited to a place and we're being invited into a pace that might be frustrating at first. But I think this is so current right now. Can I just tell you something? We're living in tremendous times. Um, it feels like the culture is moving away from God in pretty much every way imaginable. Like, let's just be honest here. There's a lot of this that seems to be going away. Uh, many, many people have just kind of lost their, lost their heart. And sometimes in moments like this, the impulse within the church is some big move, you know, some flash of brilliance. Here's what we need. We need a big meeting. We need a, we need a rally in Washington. You know what? America is kind of like a little shaky right now. What we need is a big meeting in Washington. Let's get a million people together. Here's what, here's what we don't need, any of that. I want to tell you, the impulse for big meetings with a million people so we can save America is the wrong impulse. That's a flash in the pan. What we need is Daniel endurance. We need Daniel as, as individuals, but then also as the church. Daniel endurance, quiet endurance, quiet perseverance that remains, that remains, that remains, that lets the yeast of the kingdom, the little bit of yeast put in the lump of dough, Jesus said, will work its way all the way through. The tiniest seed planted in the garden will eventually become the largest tree if you give it some time. We don't need a big move. What we need is some big staying power, some big endurance. That's what we need. We don't need a rally in Washington. We don't need a million people. Here's what we need. Quiet faithfulness for decades. Not a hot flash for six months. Many, many people who pursued revivalism have fallen away. Can I tell you something? Many people that I know who traveled the country fighting a culture war lost their faith. I could name you dozens of people who followed prophets around fighting a culture war who no longer believe in God at all. Why? They had it turned to 11. You cannot live your life turned to 11. You cannot do it. What we need is marathon pace. You can't sprint a marathon. You'll look awesome that first mile. You might even, you might even beat the Kenyans the first mile. But the Kenyans will beat you in the end. Right? Joey? Am I right? Okay. Joey's the runner here. I'm going to keep, Joey. Here's what's needed. Something rooted, something grounded in place. Church, there are no quick growing oak trees. There are no hastily made cathedrals. And a pot roast takes four hours. That's how long it takes. Walked in the house a few weeks ago. Heather had made a roast. It had been in the oven for almost four hours. And the aroma 
filled the house. Like the good stuff doesn't come quickly. It takes a while. It takes a while. It takes a lifetime to become what God intends. Number three, get up and go to work. This is the wildest part of this passage. Cody, can we put up the slide that has verse 27? This is so funny to me. So Daniel has this wild vision. We read the vision, verses 1 through 14. And then afterwards, Daniel talks to some angelic figures and they tell him what the dream or the vision means. But then look, this is the last verse in the chapter. It says, then I, Daniel, was overcome and sick for several days. Why? Because this is a lot, right? And then afterward, I got up and performed my duties for the king. But I was greatly troubled by the vision and I could not understand it. I love that phrase there. After all this happens, by the way, Daniel is having visions from God. He's having angelic meetings. Angels are talking to him. They're telling him what is going to happen and what it means. And then afterwards, Daniel's sick and he gets up and he goes and does his job. Like sometimes, sometimes you just have to get up and go to work. The visions that Daniel had, they made little sense to him. Uh, The interpretations from the angels overwhelmed him to the point of sickness. But at the end of chapter 8, Daniel just gets up and goes to work. And let me just say, I think this is a word for us as well. Listen, church, I want prophetic encounters. I want angels to talk to me. And you might be thinking, do you really believe in that stuff? Yes, I do. I've had prophetic encounters. I want more. If an angel wants to talk to me, no one in the world is more open to talking to an angel than me. Like, come on, let's do it. Like, glow around me. Or, or we can even do the touch by an angel thing with the lady who has the accent. I'll accept her. I want angels to speak to me. Remember that show, Touched by an Angel? It was so corny. God was like, I'm never... Why do people... I want prophetic... I want angels to speak to me. I, I believe this stuff is real. But none of it, none of it, I want to say this, none of it removes our need to attend to our daily lives. Sometimes you just have to get up and go to work. Sometimes you just have to get up and go to work. God spoke to you. Great. Don't forget to show up on Monday. Daniel's life has a kind of resonance to it. And it lasted the ages because for all of his prophetic experiences, he was grounded in his daily work and his daily life. Like this is, this is what it means to be a Christian. Knowing God is never an escape from our daily life. But I would also like to say this to the vineyard. Having a daily life should never be an impediment from deeply, deeply knowing God. Never, you know? It's, it's not just I hammer nails. Uh, it's not just I teach children. It's not just I sell insurance or, or I have a business. It's, it's not just those things. It's also that I've been made in the image of God. I've been made 
to know his affections. I've been made to feel his affections. I've been made to encounter him. I've been made to have prophetic experiences. It's not either or. So if you're, if you're one of those people who's like, man, finally the pastor is saying something really good and everybody just needs to shut up and go to work and try harder. No, 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 wait, wait, wait. Like, I believe you should go to work. I believe you should do your job and you should never miss Monday. And you should, you should do everything you can to be as good as you can. But I also believe you, you should encounter like, the power and the presence of God, like without it, you, you'll miss a big part of what it means to be a human. These things go together. These things go together. Knowing God, not an escape from life, but having a rooted and grounded life is not an escape from knowing God. Uh, one has to hold these things together. It's ultimately the only way that faithfulness is possible. Like the kind of faithfulness I'm talking about, the kind of endurance I'm talking about, Christians have always been a meeting between daily life, work, real responsibilities, and prayer, prophecy, and the life of the Spirit. That's what it means to be a Christian. It's all these things go together. You know, you know the most Christian thing ever? The most Christian thing ever is like an accountant with a prophetic gift. Like that's the most Christian thing ever. The most Christian thing ever is a teacher with, with like the anointing of Jesus to love and to care. That's the most anointed thing ever. You hold these things together. We see them in the person of Jesus. Jesus is the eternal word made flesh. That's what it means. So how do we, how do we run marathons? Man, you get up and go to work, but you don't forget this other stuff over here on the side, which is to know God, to feel his affections, to ask for prophetic encounters, to ask to be a part of what's happening in the life of the Spirit. Christian endurance is grown in the soil of our vocation and work. All right, what's for us? I think the message this morning is church. In a moment when when, when our own culture might be in a bit of a spiral, in a moment when that spiral might not turn around anytime soon. And by turn around, I mean turn around in the way that certain Christian thought leaders think that it should turn around, okay? Uh, in a moment when that spiral may go a little further down, the word for us is perseverance and endurance. The word for us is be a marathoner. The word for us is take this Daniel thing seriously. Encounter the life of the Spirit, but don't forget to show up on Monday. The word for us is Cal Ripken Jr. I want you to remember Cal Ripken Jr. I want you to remember the White Horse Tavern in Rhode Island. And I want you to remember the self-transcendence race in Queens, New York, because there's something in that that God is trying to say for us in this next long horizon. Here, here's, what I, here's, here's what I want. I want people who come to the vineyard, I want you to be Christians in 70 years. You know, the little guys who sit over here and they kind of go nuts on Sunday morning during worship. By the way, I love that. Um, I, I, want, I want them to be Christians when they're 80. And I think that if, that's, if that happens, it will profoundly shape and change Campbellsville, much more than us getting a big meeting and marching down Main Street a time or two. Like, 
whatever. I, I, think, I think showing up where you live in the place that you've been called, uh, whether you're a coach, whether you're a teacher, an accountant, a real estate agent, whether you, like whatever it is you do, can you do it for decades? Can you, can you endure? Amen? Amen? I think this is the invitation. If you're on the worship band this morning, why don't you come on up? If you're here and not on the worship band this morning, why don't you stand up? We're going to sing. Thanks again for stopping by the podcast of the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you'd like to keep up with what's happening at the Vineyard, you can follow us on social media. Until next time.